as we, we begin this sermon, if you, this is your first Sunday, you are uh, one sermon in uh, to the Sermon on the Mount last week, and now we're jumping in here, so you're coming in at the right time. Um, but we are beginning this sermon, and as you're hearing the sermon preached beginning next week and on, you're going to be, I think a question will be arising um, throughout it continuously, and it's going to be something that's going to be itching at you, just going, there's something off about this sermon, because it's a very, very different sermon that Jesus preaches than probably any sermon you normally hear on a Sunday morning here or elsewhere. Um, and one question that's going to be bubbling up throughout it is, did Jesus really preach the gospel? That's the title of the sermon, Did Jesus Preach the Gospel? And it's going to be asking the question, like, did he actually preach it? Or did, did he forget? <laughs> did he forget to preach the gospel? Yikes. That is a, that's a blunder. That's a big miss from Jesus, if so. Um, and so I think, said it another way, um, if you heard Jesus say, as this passage says in verse 17, in verse 17, Check, check. Okay, we're going with the handheld. So I've lost two mics. Some, it might be a user error. We'll find out. Um, hopefully not three. Verse 17 says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so, what is the difference between Jesus saying, Repent, and, and this? A street preacher with a picket sign saying, repent or perish. Is it the same tone? Is there any hope and kindness in that and in what Jesus is preaching? And so the question today is, did Jesus preach the gospel? Now that's going to pop up a lot, as I said, uh, throughout this sermon series, and you're going to be itching for a way out of that question. You're going to be wondering... Can I get around it? Uh, maybe he doesn't mean this. Um, Jesus, you're being unreasonable. You're asking too much of me. And I want to say, why do we have that feeling? Why do we think Jesus might have forgotten to preach the gospel? I think it's because we don't actually know what the gospel is. We have a very malformed view of the gospel. I, I think that's something that I've, I've had to, to grow in, in my, myself. And so what I want us to do today is before we jump into the Sermon on the Mount, I want us to look at the passage preceding the Sermon on the Mount to give us some context. So many times you can just jump into a text and go, uh, this means this, this means that, without knowing the fuller context. And so I want us to get, where did Jesus come from? Who is he speaking to? Um, what are all the surrounding things happening right now? Um, and so those are the, that, that's what we're trying to do today. But there's two simple questions I want to ask you that will kind of guide our pathway forward. Two very simple questions is, what is the gospel and what's it mean for me? What is the gospel and what's it mean for me? So what is the gospel? Well, some of y'all might say, that's easy. That's easy. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> Check. I've got my, my 100% on my, my Bible test. Um, and, the, and I would say, yeah, it's actually right. Um, you, you win. 
uh, th this quiz here, uh, because at the beginning of each of the Gospels, uh, in the first four books in the New Testament, it says the Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to Mark, the Gospel according to Luke and John, and so on, and things like this. And so, yes, it's a, it's a record of Jesus' life. The Gospels are uh, about his life, his death, his resurrection. But the word gospel, as many of we've said over and over here at this church, the, gospel, the word gospel actually means, ooh, we've not failed yet, Malcolm. <laughs> the word gospel means good news. Um, good news. And some might say as opposed to good advice. And so it's, it's not asking you to do something. Um, it's what has been done for you uh, is, is, is one way of seeing this. But, but good news about what? What is the good news? What is the good news of the gospel? Now, Paul might answer in 1 Corinthians 15, and he gives it for us here. 1 Corinthians 15, 2, he says, by this gospel, you are saved. And so you're like, okay, what is that gospel? Skip to verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. He's ramping you up. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. And so the gospel, the good news is, according to Paul, these three things, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised again according to the scriptures. That's the gospel according to Paul. And so if you want to be a gospel-centered preacher... Your sermons should be surrounded around these three essential truths. That Christ died for our sins. That he was buried, that he was raised again. Paul tries to make this extra clear in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 23. He says, but we preach Christ crucified. He's kind of contrasting himself. Like, here's what we do. We preach Christ crucified. And that's what we want to do here at, at Mosaic. We want to preach Christ crucified. And I want to say, though, if that's all the gospel is, as we read the Sermon on the Mount, did Jesus preach the gospel? Does he preach Christ crucified? Or did he forget? There's something about it that sounds, this doesn't seem like the same message. And yet... Our passage today in 423, uh, there's all these good news. So the good news of the kingdom in Matthew 423, then skip to chapter 9, which is not in our passage. But, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. In Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. And even in these passages here, you might say, like, did I miss Christ dying for your sins? Did, was that written in that gospel message? Did Jesus forget there? Did I miss the altar call and walk the aisle and accepting Jesus into your heart? That's got to be somewhere in scripture, right? That's not there either. And so there's something amiss. There's something that doesn't seem to be working together here. And I think here's our problem. I think our problem is, is that we have a personal gospel and Jesus preaches a kingdom gospel. 
If all those passages there was the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, right? And so that we, we want to talk about what Jesus has done for me. And Jesus is very concerned with what he can do in healing the world. Jesus is not just healing you, but healing everything, all of it. Now, the Greek word gospel is the word euangelion. Let's all say that together, euangelion, fun word to say. Uh, that word, you also can get the word uh, evangel, which is where we get our word evangelicalism. Some of us want to claim evangelicalism, some of us don't, right? But even those who do claim evangelicalism, I would argue, are not evangelicals. Why? Well, this is, uh, as Scott McKnight says, he says, we evangelicals mistakenly equate the word gospel with the word salvation. Hence, we are really salvationists, not evangelicals. When we evangelicals see the word gospel, our instinct is to think personal salvation. Now, some of y'all are getting a little uncomfortable, like, mm, you're not messing with my whole framework here. <laughs> Heads up. I think a personal gospel is good. That Christ died for our sins is good for us to preach. Paul seems to think it's a good thing to preach. Christ crucified. And I am committed to preaching Christ crucified, that Christ died for your sins and my sins till I am blue in the face, right? This is so critical. I want us to see how critical it is that Christ has done these things. It is personal. But yet, if you just say that Christ has died for your sins, it speaks nothing of the kingdom. And so I want to say it's that, but it's more. I think we have a truncated view of the gospel, an isolated view of the gospel. And I want us to see a King Jesus gospel that is being presented in the Sermon on the Mount. It includes saving you from your sins, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't just stop with, with saving you from your sins. The Sermon on the Mount is all about this kingdom, as we've talked about. Jesus is incessantly talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand, seeing the kingdom of God, entering the kingdom of God, preaching the kingdom of God. God. And so how do you know if you're understanding the true gospel or not. Well, that's what we're trying to do here is what is the gospel? One thing I think it's helpful for us to understand, did you know that Christ is not Jesus' last name? Do you think about that? <laughs> Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. Like, Mr. Christ, I think we have a table ready for you. Like, <laughs> it's not his last name. No, Christ is not actually a last name. It's Jesus the Christ. The Christ. And the Christ means the chosen one, the anointed one. And the word Christ actually is a Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. Did you know this? That Christ is the Messiah, that Messiah is the Christ. And so when Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, and that word Messiah actually also means Lord and ruler, Paul is saying, we preach Messiah crucified. We preach Lord crucified and gives it a little more weight to what Paul is trying to say here. He's giving us a both and, that Jesus is both Lord and Savior. 
He is both king and the one who is coming to rescue you, right? This is what this is. It's never one without the other. It's never Christ untethered from the drama and story of scripture. We have to see when Paul says, according to the scriptures, he's trying to bring you back into the gestalt, the big picture of scriptures here, right? That's important. And so the emphasis here is that Jesus is Lord over all. There's this great uh, Dutch theologian named Abraham Kuyper, and he has this quote. He says, there is not a square inch in the whole of creation over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And so as we were up here dancing, Christ is Lord over even dance. Christ is Lord over beauty and art and music and your work. He's, over, he's, he's Lord over, over governments. He's Lord over every single molecule in this world. He is that sovereign. He is king of it all. Mine. That is the, that is the, 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 the Lord that we serve here. And so I want us to see this. And so as we understand that, that's who is crucified. That king is crucified. That is important. And so in verse 23, we see the kingdom touches, though, on real issues. Right after we hear, repent, the king is here. And then what happens in verse 23? Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Oh, I love that. That he preaches the good news and he's healing people of their sicknesses. He's preaching to the heart as well as the body. We want to divorce those things so much in our, our truncated view of the gospel. He's announcing the kingdom and he's performing deeds of mercy, restoring both your spiritual as well as your physical being. Jesus cares all about it. Jesus cares so much about, about eternity, what you are going towards. And so, yes, we will talk about salvation, but we're, we're trying to talk about that eternity that we're going to, and that eternity begins now. There's not a, there's not a gap in your understanding of eternity between then and now. If that eternity begins now, that you will live forever now. And so I want us to see that. And then the other thing that's really important to see is that when we preach the gospel in the first century context, what that is doing is in its announcement, right? It's announcement that Jesus is Lord or Yahweh is Lord. Another word for Lord could be king. And so if you are to announce in the first century context that Yahweh is king, what that also means is that Caesar is not. And so it's very radical in that day, which is why they had to have Caesar is Lord on coins to make sure we knew who was the Lord in that day. And so it's, it, it's, this is not, the gospel is not just about alleviating your consciences. And we hope it does do that. We hope it gives you freedom to know that Jesus has died for you and paid for your sins. But it doesn't stop there. That rescue of you is not just to rescue you off to heaven, it's to rescue all of you and to rescue your life now. Jesus is the rightful king and he's victorious in your life right now. And so did Jesus preach the gospel? Well, did he preach his kingdom come? Yes, 
Yes, I would say with a hearty amen, Jesus did preach the gospel. And so what is the gospel? It's the gospel of the kingdom. All right. Um, what does that good news mean to me? As we come to this, this part here, I want us to see the gospel, the good news. I really think it's important for us to see the good news as good. Do you actually see the gospel as good? Do you actually see the kingdom as something you want to enjoy? If, I, if you don't, then I, I, if, I don't, if I don't believe it myself, then I'm just a used car salesman trying to sell you a clunker, right? That I don't actually believe this is good for us. No, 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 like we actually, you actually have to believe that the good news is so good, that the kingdom is so good that you actually want it. They actually want to live in that kingdom. And, 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 I, and I worry that many of us see the kingdom of God as if we are our children living in our parents' house. And they have their rules that we just have to live by and abide by. Even as adults, maybe some of y'all went and, lived and stayed with uh, parents for Thanksgiving. And you go into, as an adult, you go into your parents' house and you realize they have different rules. They live by different codes than we do. And you're just like, okay, this is their house. I got I to gotta live by it. You know, like, so we go to my parents' house. And, and some families love to watch the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade. I personally do not enjoy it at all. Um, but I know this is their thing. You go in and you don't try to change that channel. That's important. Some other things, I don't personally like to wash dishes at 5 a.m. and waking everyone up, to, regardless of who's sleeping. Some families do. <laughs> These are their rules, and we just got to live by them. <laughs> Doesn't matter who's asleep. We're doing dishes, clanging pots and pans at 5 a.m., right? And, and I worry that many of us see the laws of God as that. They're just rules that we feel like, I don't really like, but I kind of have to abide by. If I want to be a good, or son, good son or daughter, I just have to live, live by this for a little while. And we actually start to resent the laws of God and the kingdom of God. And, and that's actually how early Martin Luther saw the law of God. Early Martin Luther saw the law of God as something that, that he's just like, I don't even want. When he saw the law, it was, it was something that, that revealed, it was like a mirror that just revealed to him all the ways that he didn't measure up. And so if, if that's how you see the law of God, of course you want nothing to do with it. All the ways that you, that, that it's just, it's gonna make you miserable. It's almost like maybe you met someone this week. Maybe you met someone, maybe you have a, a miserable aunt or uncle um, who just, they're just always angry and just always miserable. Like they've, they've never had a good day in their life. Right? They had one good day, but then they decided to wake up and pick a fight and hurt puppies or something like this. And you're just like, from then on, you have just said everyone everywhere, you've pointed out all their flaws. And so if you have someone like this, you might, might know someone like this. If you have someone like this in your life, you're like, please don't make me sit next to them at the dinner table. I don't want them to constantly point out those flaws, <laughs> right? Um, you might, may not be within your family, and maybe it's outside your family, and you have someone like that. What do we do with those people? We avoid them. It's natural. We naturally avoid people who constantly point out our flaws because we don't like 
those things being exposed, right? If that is how we see the law of God, we are losing. If that's how we are about to see the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, we're missing it. It's not, a, it's not a miserable aunt or uncle pointing out the ways that you fail. Think of it this way. Maybe you know someone else, a completely different person with a different personality. How many of y'all know someone who makes you want to be a better person? Hmm. I saw, I saw some people pointing to the, next to you. I love that. Maybe you know someone who makes you want to be a better person, who makes you want to aspire to your best self. I know people like this, and they're just a joy to be around. What is that? What is it that they, that they have? What are the qualities? Yes, they are living the life that you're saying, like, I kind of want, I know I should, but I also want to. But it's not just that. They're also, there's like not a hint of condemnation in their, in their relationship with you. And yet, they, they, they inspire you. They're, it's like this magnetic pull to something greater. What you see in Jesus is exactly that. Right? Jesus constantly had sinners flocking to him. People who he could have pointed out hundreds of their sins, thousands of their sins, that they wanted to be around him. And so he did not lead with condemnation, and yet he constantly brings them along to something greater. And I just, I just pray I become that type of person that is just radically welcoming, but also is consistently pointing people to something greater, that what Jesus is calling us to. And I just pray that that's how our church operates as well. There's something beautiful about that. It's this good news that brings us along to something better. And so I want us to see that. But what we see here is Jesus, he's going to be preaching this sermon. Who is he preaching it to? Well, in chapter 5, uh, verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him. All right, so the who is Jesus' sermon to? It's primarily to the disciples. His disciples came to him. So you can imagine they're, they're probably sitting in front row. But it says the crowds are there, and presumably the crowds from the people he just healed and, and cast out demons and all of these things. So they've, they've seen him do miraculous things. They've seen him heal them. He's seen him actually care about their real needs. And we assume later in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds are still present there. So it's almost like he's preaching to the disciples but he knows the crowds are listening in, right? That, that, that's who the sermon is to. But where is he at? He's on a mountain. The Sermon on the Mount, not a stool. Um, he's the Sermon on the Mount. And what mountain is that? That is the Mount Sinai, which is the same mountain where Moses comes down and gives the Ten Commandments. And so this is important to know why Jesus chose this. He's coming down the same mountain that Moses brought the Ten Commandments from. The Ten Commandments are also known as the law. And, and you could see those Ten Commandments of, you know, not murdering and obeying your parents and, you know, resting on the Sabbath. You could see those things as oppressive things that you just have to do. Or if the Spirit is in you and, and God changes your taste buds, it makes it to where you actually want to, to do those things. You see how, how not choosing violence 
is a beautiful thing. And actually listening to others is actually a good thing. Like you're starting to see the beauty of how this is not just an oppressive rule, but how society flourishes. Like that's, that's what I want us to be able to see here. That, that's that's, that's the, the picture that we are, we, are, we are longing for. It's something that we're, it becomes sweet for the Christian. And so loving not just our friends, not just our neighbors, but loving an enemy is something that we are going to long for. And actually not oppressing the poor is actually something we would all long for. And getting the log out of our own eyes instead of the speck in the others is something that we are going to long for. And so Jesus is now really the new Moses. He's coming down from the mountain with this fuller picture of the law. Not a different law, but a fuller picture of the kingdom. And so it's the Messiah on the mountain giving the kingdom manifesto, right? And so, again, what does this mean for me? Well, let me just say this, these two things. What does this mean for me? Two things, repent and follow. It, what does it mean to hear the gospel? What, what should you do with it? The, 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 the two Right responses is to repent and follow, and they're both present in this passage here. Uh, verse 17, we read earlier, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, repentance is, is this twofold response. It's a turning from and a turning to. So it's a turning away from sin, but it's also a turning to Christ. And sometimes we think, I'm just going to repent and I'll just stop doing those things. Okay, that's part of it. It's turning from, but have you turned to Christ in your repentance? It's as if I, I, I needed to repent to, to my family uh, for something and said, I'm sorry, I, I, I did this and just drop it. I now need to restore the relationship that was broken, right? There is, there's something restorative that needs to happen in this moment here. And so repentance is this twofold response uh, the, the word repent is metanoia, which means a change of heart and mind. And so it's not just stopping something. It's actually a change of your heart and mind to where it produces a, a true distaste for that thing. And so you may have tried to repent of some sins that you have habitually come back to more and more. Maybe it's because it was just a thought in your head, but it never reached down to your heart where you actually really don't want it. You don't want to see that it's destructive effects, not just on you, but it's destructive effects on the people around you and how it, how it, how it magnifies the distance and the chasm between you and your king. And so that's, that's, it's the bigger picture of repentance. So it's a turning away from, but then it's turning to. And so it's repent and follow. And follow, uh, we, we see that in verse 18. Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Oh, at once they left their nets. Can you imagine? You've been, these are fishermen who've been out probably all night catching fish, mending their nets, cleaning fish. They probably reek. And they're doing what they have known their whole life. This is their business. And he just says, come follow me. Drop the net and follow him. Whew. And then it feels kind of like a radical response. Like you're inviting someone to join a cult. You're like, mm, is that the, you're going to join it that quickly? Um, but what, what is it, what is it? 
What about what Jesus says had them drop their nets so quickly? Like Jesus didn't tell them to go get cleaned up. They probably reeked. Like he didn't say, go, to, go take a shower, especially you, Peter, take a shower. Um, like he didn't say, clean up, get new clothes, pack your bags, get some money. He just says, follow me. There's an urgency in there. But there's also, did you see how front-loaded the grace is? Because these fisher people probably had their own backstories. Rough characters. Fish, I mean, you've seen those, those shows with fishermen. Some rough people. And Jesus doesn't just say, don't, clean, don't go get cleaned up physically. He doesn't say anything about them spiritually either. All he says is, follow me. Come, follow me as you are. Now, many of you, I'm guessing, don't make your living off of fish. But I'm guessing many of you could say, I'm really busy. In fact, this sermon's going over. I've got things to do. I've got my own schedule. I've got, I've got my life that I'm doing. What if Jesus came here today with eyes and looked you in the eyes and said, come follow me? What would you do? Would you be willing to drop everything and follow him? It doesn't mean Jesus doesn't work through your industry, through those, 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 those vocations. But what is it that you are holding on to, to, bring to, to that puts a distance between you and your Savior? Would you be willing to drop it all? Let me ask it another way. What is the thing that you are holding on to that, that is keeping you from following him? What is it that God is asking you? Maybe you're hearing his voice now and saying, give up. Lay it down. Again, front loaded with grace. As you are, follow me. I have, I have come and I've rescued you, but I'm trying to fully rescue you. It's not just to bring you to heaven. I'm trying to rescue all of you, all of your life. And you see what Jesus is inviting you to? It's, this is why we don't just preach about salvation. We preach the gospel, a full-orbed gospel. Jesus is inviting you to a relationship, to trust, to actually follow him. It's, it's, it's inviting you into discipleship. Will you follow him? Are you? If you look at your life now, would you be able to say, I am following Jesus? I am a disciple of Jesus. And so this is a call to, to you to follow Jesus wherever he may lead you. Will you listen to that call? And so did Jesus preach the gospel? Absolutely. He preached the full-orbed gospel of the kingdom that reaches your spirit and your soul and your body and this world. That he is king over all. And so let's repent and follow him. Let me pray.